This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. The 8th day of January 2021. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call. I'm not as angry this morning as I was yesterday. Uh, so we'll, this will be a sports show, I promise. Um, I got it out of my system yesterday for the most part. Uh, it, you know, it, it's not going to go away for a while. We're going we're gonna to talk about this for a long, long time. And uh, But here's the good news. we got only got 12 more days of that idiot being in office. So uh, thank God for that. And he released a video yesterday uh, condemning what happened. That's like, uh, you know, closing the barn door after the horse got out. Uh, and people calling for his resignation. People calling for the 25th Amendment to be invoked. Uh, people calling for impeachment. Look, at this point, and, and I get it. Colin Powell was on the Today Show this morning, and he's pissed. I mean, and he was like, he should resign immediately. He should do what Richard Nixon did and, you know, take the honorable way out. There's, you know, enough people left, you know, that we can run the government for 12 days. Yeah, now, he's not going to resign. Just, we, we know that. You know, he's just, you know, 12 days. That's all I got is just relax. It'll be all right. In 12 days, uh, you know, we'll get some sanity restored and, then we'll see what happens with the next four years. So, uh, And uh, to carry that into the sports world, Kurt Schilling yesterday. Kurt Schilling, who I got to tell you, you know, I, he's disappointed me, I guess would be the right word. Look, we all knew he was conservative-leaning, but, boy, in the last few years, this guy has gone completely off the rails. Uh, and this was a guy I loved as a player. And I loved how outspoken he was as a player. He's one of those guys that when he was a player, he was like, hey, look, we make a lot of money. People just, you know, can say whatever they want, and they, they deserve to, and we should be held to a higher standard. And, you know, if we don't play well, we should be called out on it. We make a lot of money. And I always enjoyed that. And he was one of those guys that did not shy away from the media. Uh, you know, and it was so weird. The media gets pissed off when celebrities don't want to talk to them or, or uh, you know, athletes don't want to talk to them. And yet when they do, all of a sudden, they get criticized for that, too. But after Kurt Schilling left the field and, and went into private business and really started letting loose on social media about his his you know political leanings, and look, you know, you can be, I'm a Republican, too, and, you know, I tend to be conservative, but Kurt Schilling is frighteningly conservative, and uh, he needs to shut up, you know, but this is a guy that sent out a tweet Wednesday night, just before midnight, supporting the people that mobbed the Capitol building, that attacked the Capitol, that attacked our government. He praised them and said, you cowards sat on your hands and did nothing while liberal trash looted, rioted, and burned for Air Jordans and big screens. Sit back, shut up, and watch folks start a confrontation for uh, crap that matters like rights, democracy, and the end of government corruption. If you think for one minute what was going on was about 
uh, rights, democracy, and ending of corruption, you are way wrong. That was just an excuse for uh, people that want to cause mayhem to cause mayhem. You know, and I know a lot of people drink the Trump Kool-Aid, but Jesus. They had a woman on this morning they, who was supposedly one of these uh, QAnon people. And Gabe Gutierrez, I think it was, on NBC News interviewed this woman. And it, whoa, lights were on, but nobody was home. And those are the people that were at the Capitol building. And those are the people that scare the crap out of me. But Kurt Schilling, just shut up. You know, and he's up for the Hall of Fame. He's probably going to make the Hall of Fame this year. And by the way, fortunately for him, the balloting for this year's uh, had already been closed because if that had happened, uh, people might not have put him on the ballot. You know, look, playing-wise, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And uh, as I said, we have a lot of bad people in the Hall of Fame. We have a lot of racists in the Hall of Fame. We have, you know, we have criminals in the Hall of Fame because it's, you know, there's supposed to be, there's really not a, I mean, there's supposed to be, you're supposed to take into consideration somebody's uh, morals, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, back when t- people like Ty Cobb, who was a racist and uh, were, you know, and, and was a dirty player, you know, they didn't worry about that stuff. You know, now, I mean, if there's a whiff of PEDs, people are trying to have you hung. And yet, you know, we have a guy here in Kurt Schilling who is uh, supporting <laughs> the violent overthrow of our government, practically. And uh, he's probably going to make the Hall of Fame this year. Shut up. God, I loved him as a player. He's a guy who was one of the best big game players ever. And to see him saying stuff like that now, Jesus. Oh, makes me sick. Makes me sick. Makes me, you know, up- upset with myself that uh, I was a big fan of this guy. And, and uh, you know, I just, oh, it makes me sad. Pisses me off because yeah, I need another reason to be pissed off. All right. Um, the big news yesterday in baseball, how about this trade? How about the New York Mets going all in? They get Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from the Cleveland Indians for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, and a couple of minor league prospects, a uh, right-handed pitcher named Josh Wolf and uh, outfielder Isaiah Green. Everybody knew that Francisco Lindor was getting traded. It was a no-brainer. There was no way that the Indians were going to be able to afford Lindor. They had tried to extend him several times. Every time they tried to you know, uh, negotiate a contract extension with him, he turned them down. He knew he could get money from a major market team that he wasn't going to get in Cleveland, so he turned them down. He's going to be a free agent at the end of 2021. And Cleveland knew they had to get what they could get. Now, throwing Carrasco in there kind of surprised me, but you know, Cleveland has been so good at developing young pitchers, and they have several really good young pitchers on that team. And Carrasco's 33 years old and had a good year last year. This is a guy that is a cancer survivor. I mean, came back after having leukemia. Uh, supposedly a great clubhouse guy. You would have thought, actually, you would have wanted to keep him there to help mentor the young young pitchers, but be that as it may, uh, they got a couple of pretty good players back to Cleveland, and they saved about $30 million. <laughs> I, I saw a thing yesterday. They said that uh, 
Uh, as of right now, Cleveland's salary for next year, a team salary is about $35 million. I mean, they're not, they're not paying anybody anything, you know, and of course Cleveland fans are, you know, ready to jump off of buildings because there's nobody left from that. You know, you look at that team that made a run at the uh, World Series back in, what was it, 2017? There's nobody left from that team. Uh, and Lindor is one of the most popular athletes in Cleveland. This is a guy that, you know, plays with just absolute joy. He plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. 285 career hitter, and, you know, since I since uh, 2015, he has been one of the two or three best shortstops in Major League Baseball, period. He's won uh, two gold gloves. He has been an all-star four straight years. He's finished in the top ten in the MVP voting four time, or three times. You know, uh, th- so – this for the Mets, wow. You know, you look at what they have done, and they're rumored to be interested in everybody. You know, I, I saw a thing, you know, that, that they're interested in uh, Brad Hand. They've been rumored uh, to be involved with, uh, interested in Corey Kluber and James Paxton. And, you know, I mean, since Steve Cohen bought the team, they have opened up the purse strings, and they are not going to be shy. You know, look, they've already signed Trevor May, right-handed reliever. Marcus Stroman accepted their qualifying offer. They signed James McCann to, to catch for four years. And uh, this is a team that is going to be dangerous. I mean, they go from you know, maybe being able to make the playoffs to you got to be thinking this is a team that could challenge the Los Angeles Dodgers for a chance to go to the World Series. And, you know, the other thing it does, and is because don't forget that the Dodgers were one of those teams that was rumored to be involved in the Lindor sweepstakes. That's all they needed was for the rich to get richer. So for the Mets to get him, that's uh, that's huge, you know. Uh, look, Rosario, um, pretty good shortstop. Now, he's a young kid. He only played three years. He struggled last year, but who didn't? And so I don't – you know, he struggled offensively last year, but who cares? Last year is, you know, it's one of those things you just kind of forget about it. You know, but in 2019, this kid hit 287. You know, he hit 252 last year in the shortened season. But, you know, he's a, he's a 265, 270 hitter. Jimenez is only 22 years old. You know, and as a rookie last year in that short year, he hit 263. He can play all over the infield. That will be helpful for Cleveland because uh, they've got to figure out who's going to play second base. Cesar Hernandez, their second baseman um, last year, is a free agent. Now, I'm sure they would love to have Hernandez back, perhaps, although they probably figure they can save some money by having Jimenez. Hernandez made uh, what, about $6 million last year. So, you know, you lose the $30 million on the books for Lindor. 
Uh, what did Carrasco make last year? Carrasco made, what, $14 million? And Carrasco, or $12 million, Carrasco is under contract through 2022 with a team option for 2023. And as a starting pitcher goes, he's pretty cheap. $12 million, $12 million, and $14 million for the next three years. And so you think about that for the Mets. You know, now they're not going to have Syndergaard in the beginning of the year, but they're hoping he can come back from Tommy John surgery in June. You've got DeGrom. You've got Stroman. They're hoping Steven Matz can make a, a bounce back. And now you have Carrasco. I mean, good Lord. That's a really good pitching staff. So, and if and again, if you're Cleveland, you've got a couple of pieces back that are major league ready players. They're going to be, you know, uh, they're going to plug them right in. They'll be just fine. You know, and if you still look at what they have left for pitching, they still have Bieber. They still have Aaron Savali, who is you know, a young kid from Connecticut who's been very good. They still have Zach Plesac, Tristan McKenzie. I mean, this is a team that's, that's got plenty of young pitching. So I think they're going to be, you know, just fine. Now, if you're Minnesota, if you're the Chicago White Sox, you're thrilled because now Cleveland has definitely taken a step back. And you figure that opens the door for you. But, you know, again, the way Cleveland has been able to develop young pitchers, I wouldn't count them out. I mean, Lindor's a special player, and he is certainly going to help the Mets, and it certainly brings them right to the top of the NFC East. You know, they'll now be able to challenge the Atlanta Braves. So, I, you know, this is great. I mean, I love trades like this, and frankly, as a Red Sox fan, get them the hell out of the American League. That is a beautiful thing. Uh, we got Dan Zampano coming up at 1030 this morning. Uh, to or 10.30, 9.30 this morning, because if it's 10.30, something's wrong. Uh, at 9.30 this morning to talk NFL football, talk about the playoff games this weekend, some of the things happening there. Uh, programming note, uh, uh, I put together a uh, show about uh, all the people in country music that passed away. Not all of them, but many of them that passed away uh, in 2020, and the list is very, very long. I've got a three-hour retrospective that is going to be on Sunday night, uh, starting at 6 o'clock, there'll be stories about um, uh, each of them. Uh, we'll play some of their music. I did an interview with Whisper Bill Anderson, a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame, that was friends with some of the people that passed away, and he shared his remembrances uh, with about some of those people. So we'll have uh, pieces of that interview in, in there as well. So that'll be Sunday night at 6 o'clock Eastern time. I'm working on a way to try to syndicate it so you can listen to it at your at your leisure. We'll probably run it every Sunday here through the month of January, but you know, it's difficult. I can't turn it into a podcast because there's music involved and there's copyright issues. So I can't just uh, throw it out there for you to listen to on demand, but uh, we're going to work on that. Uh, but I'll let you know, but anyway, it'll be on Sunday night, uh, six o'clock. You can listen to it right here on sports country radio, sportscountry.net uh, on the internet. And, uh, Again, unfortunately, I can't run it on Facebook because of the music thing, but uh, I hope you'll tune in six, Sunday night at 6 o'clock um, between uh, football games. Um, basketball news in uh, at UConn. The UConn women, we announced, uh, announced that their game against Xavier that was scheduled for next Wednesday had been postponed. They were going to play Providence um, tonight, or tomorrow night, I'm sorry, and then uh, they were going to be off for a long time because of that 
cancellation. Well, now the Huskies have been able to move a game around. They're going to play Seton Hall to replace Xavier Wednesday. It's going to be at 4.30 in the afternoon. That's an odd time. Um, but it has been moved up from the original date of February 10th to help UConn out. They've had so many games uh, postponed, uh, non-conference and conference games, because of the COVID-related issues that uh, this will certainly help the Huskies out. So that will be uh, Wednesday at 4.30. The game will be broadcast uh, on SNY. It'll be the second meeting of the year between these two teams. UConn beat Seton Hall by 27 uh, in New Jersey uh, back in December. Um, other college news. Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of the Michigan Wolverine football team, is uh, reportedly negotiating a contract extension. Uh, there's a lot of people that would like to see him uh, shot into the sun <laughs> because uh, they have certainly uh, been disappointing since Jim Harbaugh had come there because they can't beat Ohio State, and that's all that really matters. But it was a down year this year. But they're going to keep Harbaugh. Now, it will be at a discount. And, boy, wouldn't we all love a discount like this? Um, the Supposedly, the deal will be for $4 million a season for five years. So it's a five-year extension for $4 million a year with uh, incentives that could uh, get it back up to $8 million a year, depending on uh, how the team does. Uh, there is a buyout in the contract, but it is supposedly pretty low. Um, so uh, Harbaugh has not signed it yet, but they expect him to. Um, and he had one of the highest salaries in major college football, but uh, has not uh, been able to produce. So Michigan looks like they're going to keep him anyway, despite the fact that uh, uh, they have uh, underwhelmed, to say the least. Uh, NBA from last night. How about this? Uh, Kyrie Irving just, uh, I guess, decided he didn't want to play yesterday. Nobody really knows where Kyrie Irving was. Uh, Steve Nash, the head coach, said, I don't know where he is. He said, uh, he, he said that uh, he didn't know where he was, didn't really know the reason for his absence. He called it a personal matter. Uh Irving texted his teammates before the game, and uh, supposedly they all supported his absence. But uh, And he's also not going to travel with the team to Memphis. Uh, they have to play Memphis tonight. So, uh, you know, I, Kyrie Irving doing his thing again. And this was a Nets team that was already without Kevin Durant because of uh, uh, issues with uh, the coronavirus. But despite that, no Irving, no Durant. The Nets still found a way to win last night. They beat the 76ers. Uh, who had been 7-1, and one, off to a huge start. Uh, but they beat him last night, 122-109, to 109 without their best two players. Joe Harris had 28 points. Uh, Karis LeVert with uh, 22 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. And uh, they came in and just uh, shot the lights out and uh, end up beating the 76ers. Kyrie Irving, is boy, what a loose cannon he is. I mean, I know he's talented, but, man, I'll tell you what, Celtic fans – I remember when he left, boy, Celtic fans were really upset. I don't think there's too many of them upset anymore. Um, interesting uh, thing going to happen in college basketball this week, something that has never happened before. Uh, for the first time in NCAA history, as far as we know, at least in Division One, a father and daughter are going to coach against each other. It'll happen this weekend. It's back-to-back games, uh, Army taking on Holy Cross this weekend. Uh, uh, Dave uh, Margety has coached uh, over a thousand games. He's seventy-one years old. 
and uh, he coaches the Army team. And this weekend, uh, he will be going up against his daughter, Maureen, who uh, is in her first year coaching at Holy Cross. She's been in New Hampshire, uh, coaching the University of New Hampshire for the last 10 years, recently took over the Holy Cross team. Uh, so, by the way, this isn't the – I mean, it's going to be the first time it's ever happened. It ain't going to be the last uh, because uh, they're in the same conference. They're in the Patriot League. So they will play each other because of this COVID thing. They're playing each other four times this year. Um, and, and at one time, Maureen was actually on her father's staff at Army. She was his assistant for a few years uh, before she left to take the uh, job at New Hampshire. And uh, her dad actually was a men's coach at Marist when she was growing up. So she's been around basketball her entire life, and now she gets to coach against her old man. I guess they've done it a couple of times in scrimmages, uh, but this will be the first time uh, in, in a real game. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, the Bruins named David Pasternak as their new captain, replacing Tuka, um, Tuka Rast, replacing Zdeno Chara, uh, who left to go to the Washington Capitals because he didn't like the uh, kind of playing time that the Bruins were planning to give him. Uh, so Pasternak will be the new captain for the Boston Bruins. An interesting interview in the Boston Globe this morning. Matt Porter had it. He talked to Tuka Rask. Uh, you know, and there was a lot of controversy last year when Rask left the team to go back to Canada uh, in the playoffs. Um, and uh, there were a lot of fans that were upset about that. And as I said all along, it had to do with the health of his daughter. Come to find out that uh, his daughter was called, uh, was taken away in an ambulance the night before game three uh, in the first round series the Bruins had against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. So he left and went back to Canada, went back to Toronto. I mean, can you blame him? My daughter just got taken away in an ambulance. Of course you're going to go home. And, you know, this is why I always, you know, when, when it happened and fans were killing him, I'm like, this was his kid. You know, let's get some perspective here. And as far as Rask goes, he's like, look, I don't have any issues. He said, uh, you know, and, and he lives in Massachusetts. His family lives there uh, in the off season. And he said he doesn't have any intention of playing anywhere else. You know, he's hoping to play, you know, another three, four, five years, and he hopes it's in Boston. He wants to stay there. So this wasn't, you know, his going back to Canada had nothing to do uh, with his dedication to the Boston Bruins. And, uh, you know, hopefully Bruin fans have gotten over that because, you know, let's be honest, without a healthy Tuka Rask, the Bruins have zero chance uh, of winning the Stanley Cup, and they have enough talent on this team. Now, there's going to be some questions, obviously, uh, on defense this year with some of the moves that they have decided to make with Tory Krug leaving and Zdeno Chara going down to Washington, but they've got some great young players, and they're still their offense is still going to be one of the best uh, in the NHL. And if they have a healthy, happy, and productive Tuka Rask, you know, this is still going to be a very, very dangerous Boston Bruins team. It's 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. And as we are every Friday morning, we are pleased to be joined by Dan Zampano. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Gene, I'm doing well. It is finally here. I am so excited to watch basically 48 hours of wall-to-wall-to-wall-to-wall coverage of <laughs> Wild Card Weekend. Uh, before we get to this week's games, let's start off talking about the mess that happened in the final game of the regular season last week. 
when the Philadelphia Eagles and Doug Peterson inexplicably decided to bench Jalen Hurts in a three-point game and screw the New York Giants. Now, we don't know whether the Eagles would have won it anyway. Look, the offense was struggling with Jalen Hurts out there anyway. But is there any other way to look at this than the Philadelphia Eagles purposely tank this game? Uh, probably not. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, look, it's a complicated thing because you look at what's going on and obviously there's probably about a, maybe a good quarter of a percentage point, uh, of, of, of Eagles fans that are like, yeah, let's, let's tank. Let's go get the number 60 <laughs> and number six pick. You know, why not? You know, but guess what? Players don't care. Right. about draft picks like they just don't i mean and, and when you do something like that uh clearly it's going to create a rift in the locker room now clearly doug already said doug peterson said well this was my choice solely alone and apparently you had players on the sidelines you know whatever happened happened and and, and you know what i don't blame them i don't blame them one bit because how do you sit there and say we're playing to win the game, but I want. But I felt that the quarterback deserved to get a look. <laughs> it's like, how does he deserve any? What does he right. deserve? Yeah. How does he deserve anything? I mean, if you're evaluating talent, you have to evaluate hurts, not Sudfeld. Right. I mean, right. Are you kidding me? That's yeah. that's a ridiculous thing to say in a press conference. So, so to me, it, it's. It's pretty obvious that, that Doug Peterson had no good answer for this, and I you can understand now Carson Wentz is upset and why he why he would be and why he would probably going to request a trade. I mean, we don't know yet, but you can understand maybe why that rift happened in this relationship. It's, Doug Peterson has been basically in the arm of you know kind of doing whatever he feels that he needs to do to be able to quote-unquote evaluate talent uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, so it's he, very strange. Here's what I don't understand. Uh, a pound or two of air in a football on a cold day was a federal offense for the NFL. And, <laughs> and we talked about the integrity of the game. Now, unless I missed it, there was radio silence from the commissioner's office about this game in Philadelphia this week. And if that if what happened this week doesn't speak to the integrity of the game, I don't know what does. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't ever want to hear that phrase coming out of anybody in the NFL front office ever again. I think in modern day sports, if you take a look at that league named the NBA, that would be uh a league that does not care about tanking or anything else. And at least that league did a little bit of something by changing the way they draft. But the, the NFL, this is one of those things that is not going to get looked at. I would be shocked if it, if it gets looked at by anybody, because I think they'll hide behind the veil of, well, it was not. It was meaningless for us, and we wanted to get evaluated talent. That's basically what it was. And you know what? 
the Washington football team had a great year, and they probably deserve to be in the playoffs, no doubt. But they certainly got helped out by this whole thing because this is this is one of those things that loses the locker room in right. in retrospect. And I've heard a bunch of Eagles fans now say, "I don't know why we have Doug Peterson as head coach. He's driven Carson Wentz out. Uh, he's he's basically." What he did to Jalen Hurts on Saturday on Sunday night was even right. more egregious, maybe than what he's ever done to Carson Wentz. They basically say, "Screw this guy!" Like we're just not going to get development out of him at all. I mean, I, I don't understand it. I just it still boggles the mind. So uh, nothing screams drama like Philadelphia <laughs> sports. Uh, so last week's games, the the quarterbacks, the big name quarterbacks with the exception of Ben Roethlisberger, who was given the day off, the, the, the quarterbacks that are the big names all stepped up. Look at, I mean, look at what uh, Tampa Bay did. Look what Tom Brady did. Look what uh, Josh Allen did in Buffalo. Look at what Lamar Jackson did. Uh, Drew Brees stepped up. Phillip Rivers stepped up. All the big quarterbacks look like they were playoff ready last week. Yeah, they did. Um, there's no question about it. And I think we've got a, a, a slew of talent of quarterbacks and there was one quarterback that didn't gene Who's that? and he couldn't, he couldn't be saved by his backup this time. That was Tua. Oh, Tua. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I, and this was kind of the whole kit and caboodle for the AFC. And it turned out that Tua once again is showing us that right now he doesn't have the talent to do maybe be at that position or at least he doesn't have the talent or development yet to maybe call himself a starter and he needs to get better in the off season. I mean, this is, this is so crucial. And the, the dolphins have to take a serious look in the mirror at that number three spot and say, man, do we pull the trigger on somebody else again? Do we pull a Cardinals and go for somebody else? Because, you know, serious, serious questions about two and his arm strength. But I think it'll be really fun because uh, I think you got a lot of co- good quarterbacks and a lot of good offenses this weekend. I mean, you have so many fun games uh, to look forward to, rematches and uh, of, of last year and this year, and it's really going to be a good, good schedule. You know, before we get to that, just to follow up on that to a point a little bit, Chan Galley resigned as the offensive coordinator this week, and he was one of the guys that was involved in helping to develop Tua. Now, look, Chan Galley's 69 years old, but that offense put up 404 points this year. It's the most points my Dolphins had put up in like 35 years. So the offense, <laughs> you know, I mean, they scored a lot of points, but – what I'm wondering is, is was it that Chan Gailey just was ready to go back into retirement again, or was it that they decided they needed somebody else in there, somebody younger that could maybe work better with Tua, like a kind of a, a nod that Tua is going to be our guy and we got to get the right person in that position to help develop this kid. You know, I, I think there's some merit to that argument because if you look at it, I mean, Chan Gailey had worked with Ryan Fitzpatrick before. I mean, in Buffalo, they were together, and, you know, you could understand why Fitzpatrick could be successful in that type of an offense. But, but Tua is coming from the Steve Sarkeesian offense at Alabama, so it, it is maybe a little bit different uh, than, than what Chan Gailey would do. But um, to me, I think that Chan Gailey probably is, 
is riding into the sun. I mean, obviously he's he's getting up there. So I think it would benefit probably them to to go out and find a different offensive coordinator to be able to, you know, maybe mold them into a different style of offense and figure out why Tua isn't getting the ball down the field and, and how we can operate in that area. I think it, I think really, and I think a lot of people point to this, I think that Tua's hip injury uh, has limited him in some ways, in some capacity, to be able to get the ball down the field and rotate. It, it, it takes some time. And, I, and if, that is, if that is a viable injury to where it's, it's, it's affecting the way he throws, then it's just going to take some time for him to develop and get back to 100% health. So to me, I hope that that's the case and that he can overcome that injury. Otherwise, Miami is in deep trouble. I mean, they are in. They have somebody needs to be fired for that type of a for that type of a, uh, a pick and not seeing that. Um, the news out of uh, Houston is that Deshaun oh, Watson. Oh, this is a mess. Yeah, Deshaun Watson. Houston's become a soap opera unto itself as well. But Deshaun Watson is upset that he did not have input uh, into the hiring of the general manager. Now, I know Deshaun Watson is a great player, and he had a a fantastic year for a crappy team this year. or a, oh, I don't even know if you call it a crappy team. An underperforming team this year. Um, but I don't know what your – what your view on this is, but I don't care who you are. You are an employee of this team. You don't have a say, you know, and I don't, you know, shut up, play the game. You're getting your millions of dollars. <laughs> shut up. You know, that's, that was my first reaction. Uh, maybe it's just cause I'm an old man. <laughs> it sounded like Laura Ingram all of a sudden. <laughs> Look out. Uh, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I have better. Um, <laughs> just wow, that's to be seen. Um, so, but anyway, I think, or not, <laughs> um, I think that I think in this situation, obviously, you know, the 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 whole thing has been run by Jack Easterby, and Jack Easterby is a controversial character. We know how he was in New England, became team chaplain, and all of a sudden is excuse me, the front <laughs> office manager, right? of the of the Texans and people really don't know how he kind of swindled his way to do that. And he's had a lot of issues with, you know, connecting with players, uh, certain players that maybe not be so religious. Um, and so he has kind of been this kind of power vacuum guy has sucked all the power into the Texans and got over the man, got, got into the owner's ear. And so when he hires Casario, which I think Nick Casario is a great hire, like obviously he was awesome in New England. Um, when he hires Casario and Watson doesn't know about it, it kind of feeds into this narrative that, that Watson and the rest of the players are really not being heard and that Easterby is just kind of running roughshod around and doing his own thing and has the owner's ear so it doesn't matter what the players think. And I hope, I hope, and, and, this, and here's the crux of it, I hope that they actually do end up maybe interviewing Eric Bieniemy because I think that would kind of settle some settle some fears about some of what the players are thinking yep. about Easterby. They didn't even they didn't even they didn't even request a, uh, an interview with Eric Bieniemy, and that's 
number one guy that's been requested by every Everybody, other team. Yeah. So, so, and, and of course, that's what Deshaun Watson wants is he wants Eric Bieniemy at least interviewed. Uh, so, to me, this is the Texans being old school and a power hungry kind of guy, and Jack Easterby that's going to run things his way. And listen. I know it sounds crazy, but last year the Texans made a crazy trade as well. Oh. Would you be surprised? Would you be surprised at all? I think a lot of people would. To me, I kind of wouldn't. Knowing how that organization runs, it could get messy. It really could. Wow. Well, to be continued. All right, let's uh, get to this week's games. Let's start off uh, Indianapolis at Buffalo. Bills are a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Word is, and I will be shocked if the, the they do not play, but Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley have both been listed as questionable. That's got to be a smokescreen. They're playing, right? Got to think that they're playing. I mean, at least Stefan Diggs is playing. Cole, I've heard rumors that he actually may not play, which would be kind of a big deal because that is a uh, – safety valve blanket over the middle that uh, that Josh Allen likes. But I think that, listen, guys that get listed as questionable in the playoffs, they usually play. <laughs> they, they, they're not sitting. So I would be surprised if Diggs, very surprised with Diggs. I'd be a little surprised with Cole Beasley if he sat. To me, I think this game comes down to just a couple of things. It comes down to you have two coaches in this game that could be head coaches next year going up against each other. It's Brian Dable's offense for the Bills versus Matt Eberflus's Tampa 2 defense for the Colts. And uh, you listen, it's been man to man coverage that has killed teams when they try to cover Stephon Diggs and the, and the rest of the Bills receivers. That's not what the Colts do. They're a much faster zone team. Um, they're smart. Listen, if they can keep get rid of the middle of the field and force Josh Allen to make deep passes on the sidelines, they're going to be successful in this game, and they have to run the football as well. No team has been better at running the football than the Indianapolis Colts the last few weeks. I just don't know. I just don't know. It seems like they have the pieces and they have the path, but again, you're going to trust Phillip Rivers on the road here in, in Buffalo to be able to get this done. I just think the Bills are so hot, and, and it's going to be so hard to cover Diggs and everybody else that you know it's going to, he's either going to be a decoy to open up for everybody else on offense, or he's going to really go off. I just I can't see the Colts going up there and winning right now. So I'm going to take Buffalo to win. This might be the highest scoring game of the or of the weekend too. I mean, I, there's going to be I I think there's going to be a lot of points Could in this be. game. Yeah. All right, uh, next one. Rams at Seattle, and this one all comes down to who's playing quarterback for the L.A. Rams this weekend. They are three-and-a-half-point dogs on the road at Seattle. Well, I like we said last week, I'm not sure that golf makes a difference. I'm <laughs> really not. Like, at this, at, yeah. at this point, like, if you look at last week, they weren't supposed to win either. And, you know, and they did with John Wofford, in case you've never heard of that guy's name, now you know. And if John Wofford, great for him, by the way, awesome. Yep. First game ever you ever play and he wins like and gets his team in the playoffs. Amazing. So uh, to me, I don't think it really comes down to this. You're either going to have thumb surgery, Jared Goff coming off thumb surgery too early, or you're going to have John Wofford in the playoffs. And I, I listen, this is going to be a defensive game. There's no question about that. I just think Seattle is just too much talent. 
Again, they're playing defense at a very, very high rate. Uh, Rams obviously know them, but I think the way Seattle has played, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Jamal Adams says he is a go, so I- I'd like Seattle to win this game. I could see this game. Final score, Seattle wins it 10-9. to because, it could be I no seriously that's true because it, 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 this game is always a close game yeah and, and always low scoring and Seattle you know despite I mean, despite how much I love Russell Wilson that Seattle offense has been underwhelming this year no question mm-hmm. all right uh, Tom Brady and company at Washington Washington is an eight and a half point underdog at home that's probably not that's probably uh, too low. Uh, we don't even know if Alex Smith is going to be able to play because he's still dealing with that calf issue. Uh, and for Tampa, the question is, is will Mike Evans play? There was a bit of a controversy last week about why, you know, all the starters were in there for Tampa and Evans got hurt. But they've got so many other weapons, you know, I really don't think that's going to matter whether he plays or not. But uh, I would think Tampa's going to win this easy, no? In the playoffs, things can be weird. I will say this. You've got Tom Brady on the road uh, in the playoffs at night. And remember, That's true, yeah. Tampa has not been great in prime time. They have yeah. not been great in prime time, especially against, especially against teams that are in the playoffs. And I'll give you another weird stat here. Against the spread, so, I mean, the spread is eight, so take this for what it's worth. Against the spread, under 500 teams in the playoffs are seven and two. Really? So it is a very yes, it is it is an interesting little stat there with under five hundred teams. Listen, the the Washington football team has been an amazing story. Uh, there's no question about that. I think if you're if you're smart and you're a betting man, I think you probably take that eight points. But I just don't see them being able to to outgun outgun Tampa, especially if Mike Evans plays, and I think Mike Evans will play. Now, it does scare me a little bit on the other side of the ball that Devin White is not going to play in this game because I think that that's a way that Washington can slow down Tampa's offense is let's run the football and let's see what we can get out of our tight end and maybe get out of Terry McMorrin. Um, Alex Smith, I assume, will play, but to me, I think this is just too tall of a task for them to win it. I do think they will keep it close and play really hard because – what do we talk about? Brady's Achilles heel is four-man pressure, and that's something that the Washington football team can certainly do is get pressure on the quarterback with just four guys. So uh, I think he'll struggle in the first half. And one more thing about this game, Gene. If it's close at halftime, Washington has a good chance to win this game. Their point differential is like minus 115 in the first half. It's like plus 105 in the second half. I mean, it's really weird how good they are wow. in the second half. So I think Tampa will win, but this game will be closer than people think. Another game that I think is going to be really close. Baltimore is at Tennessee. Uh, Baltimore is actually favored on the road here. And this is a Tennessee team that can put up an awful lot of points, but boy, you have a Lamar Jackson that has been playing MVP type football for about the last six or seven weeks. As soon as it, it became apparent that if he didn't take over this team, they weren't going to go anywhere. Uh, it's like he turned, it's like he flipped a switch and he has been a different quarterback the last third of the season. He has been unbelievable. I mean, they had 400 yards rushing last week against Cincinnati. Right. I mean, that's insanity. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. But speaking of insanity, uh, Henry the eighth, I am Ooh. Henry was the eighth, eighth player in history to get to 2000 yards. That is ridiculous. 
to do in this day and age to get to 2000. I mean, to me, he garners probably second in the MVP vote over Mahomes. Like, no doubt about it. Like, it's who does that? That's crazy. So, to me, though, in this game, again, you talked about a high-scoring game in Buffalo. I think this game's going to be super, super high-scoring. I think that these two teams are going to go back and forth. Tennessee has been one of the worst defenses over the last few weeks in terms of, I think they're like 27th in yards per attempt per uh, opponent's yards per attempt in the air and on the ground. I mean, it has been rough defensively for them. And I think last year, if you go back to this game, this was a big upset in the, in the divisional round. Tennessee forced Baltimore to play out of their element. They forced them to throw the ball a million times, and they didn't like that. Lamar has opened up his passing a little bit more in terms of his skills in the last few weeks, it's really since that Cowboys game, they've really opened that up and not just go to Mark Andrews. We go to Hollywood Brown. We go to Miles Boykin. We go to Des Bryant of all, of all players. So I think Tennessee will have the ability to shoot it down the field. There's no question about that. And they can run. But I think Baltimore is more balanced than they were last year. I'm going to take Baltimore in a relatively close game. All right, we, uh, next one is uh, the Chicago Bears, who have kind of backed their way into the playoffs. They got spanked by, uh, by Aaron Rodgers last week and the Green Bay Packers. They are 10-point underdogs at New Orleans. <laughs> now, I know you have not been a big believer in Drew Brees, but they won last week with no running backs. <laughs> and they're going to have everybody back this week. You know, they're going to have everybody back this week. I think Breeze is now, you know, a few weeks back from that injury, and, and you know, I, I think he's starting to get some kind of rhythm. That could be very scary for the Chicago team. It could be. There's no question about that. First off, I want to say this game is on Nickelodeon as well as CBS. <laughs> yeah. So I think that is hilarious. <laughs> that is so freaking funny. And I cannot wait for all the slime and SpongeBob SquarePants to come out. Like as a, as a, as a ardent SpongeBob SquarePants fan as a kid, I am very excited. <laughs> Second, <laughs> um, secondly, listen, this game has been played already this year in Chicago a few months ago. And that game went to overtime. Right. That was a very interesting game. The Bears defense played lights out. To me, they're going to have to do that again. And they're going to have to do what they did the previous weeks before they played the Packers was they actually allowed David Montgomery to get the ball in his hands and run the ball. They were able to do it. And, you know, the competition wasn't as great. Keep things simple for Mitch Trubisky this week. That's all you can do because this defense is really good in New Orleans. If they want to win this game, they're going to have to play suffocating defense. They're going to have to. Um, they're going to have to obviously keep things simple. But I think what they have to do is keep the game close because playoff Saints are different than regular season Saints. Playoff Saints have all the pressure on them this year because they know that this is the last ride. This is it. Drew Brees. So at the end of the day, if this game is close, all of a sudden doubt seems to creep into the minds of the Saints when they're getting that position in the playoffs. It happens every year. Call me crazy. I'm picking the Bears. Uh, And people are going to be crazy and they're going to think I'm nuts, but I will take the Bears. You have to pick one upset in Wild Card Weekend. It's going to be that one because nobody sees it coming. And the Saints are going down. They're going down. 
and it's over, and they will not do it for Drew Brees. So the Bears will win the Krabby Patty Bowl. All right. <laughs> so, and, and you're calling Drew Brees is retiring? Is that what you're telling me? I'm saying that. I, I, I do think that that's going to be the case after this year. I don't think he will come back. Do you think it was the injury that made the decision for him? No, I think that this was this pretty was much had his mind made up. Premeditated, premeditated before the season. I think this is. I think this is the last ride. All right, uh, the last one on Sunday night, maybe, and that's the question. I mean, there's been some calls that uh, that the NFL should help the uh, Browns out here and postpone this game because the Browns are haven't been able to practice. You know, they're not going to have their head coach, uh, and uh, you know, does the NFL throw Cleveland a bone and put this game off by a day or two? If they do that, then this league is ridiculous. Pittsburgh and the Steelers will, should revolt. And yeah. not, the Pittsburgh shouldn't play the game. I mean, that's that's insane to do something like that at the playoffs. Yeah. At the playoffs. I mean, and you've done it to this team time all after year. time all after year. time. Yeah. All year. They've screwed this team all over. Uh, this one I'm most looking forward to, mainly because Stefanski's not there. Batonio's not there. Right. The, the tackle, their best tackle. Yep. And this is the best opportunity for the 10th grade bully to get freaking walloped. I cannot wait for the Steelers to beat this team by 37,000 points because this is clearly, clearly, you look at last week, the Steelers had their B team on the field. Yep. And they lost by two, points by two points and had a chance to win at the end. Right. That is absurd. I'm sorry. The Browns, again, we've talked about it all year. They are fraudulent. And they, they will not. This is, a game, this is a game in which, obviously, the two teams know each other. But I think something happened last week. Ben got getting rest and not having to play and can watch that game from 30,000 feet. I think that that was such a big factor, and that will be a big factor this week. You're missing Batonio, who's going to basically be the guy that was supposed to guard T.J. Watt. I mean, that is a huge, huge loss for Cleveland. Listen, I think that this game probably could be, again, another one of these games that since the teams know each other, I think this actually could be more of a defensive struggle but I think that Pittsburgh is going to keep if, – if Cleveland can't score, Pittsburgh will. Pittsburgh will find ways to score, believe me. I think that they have been underwritten, and they have a lot of motivation to play well in this game, obviously, because people have kind of written them off to the side. Pittsburgh wins this game, I think, by two, maybe even three touchdowns. This is, this is a route. You know, you mentioned the, uh, the week off for Roethlisberger. I just want to ask you, do you think there's any detriment – to Patrick Mahomes having two weeks off before he plays again? Could be. I mean, I mean, I, 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 mean I they have that. not been – yeah, they, they have not been the same Chiefs. And it's crazy to say that because they're 14-2. Right. But they, they have not been a team that I would say uh, has dominated like they had in the past. You know, you, you think of the Chiefs, and maybe see this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna find out where the Chiefs bored the entire last half of the regular season. Right. That's that's what I want to know because then they're gonna play a real team. I mean, they could play Baltimore in the second round, and that could be really hairy for them. 
So that's a really good team. So let's see. Oh, that That's a great question, and we'll find that out next week. All right, before I let you go, uh, college football championship Monday night, Alabama eight-point favorite against Ohio State. Um, I would say there's no chance Ohio State's winning this game, but then again, I didn't think they were going to beat Clemson. So, uh, you know, now the big question here is will Justin Fields play? And, and if he does, does that give Ohio State a chance? I think Justin Fields will definitely play. It definitely gives them a chance. I just don't think they're going to do it. I just yeah. think that Alabama is so much, so much firepower. I mean, you're talking about not only on offense, you're talking about the Heisman Trophy winner, the Heisman runner-up, Najee Harris. You're talking about a possibility of Jalen Waddle coming back uh, in this game, which would be huge for Alabama at the wide receiver position. You're talking about the two, two of the best offensive linemen uh, in football, two of the best defensive linemen in football, the best cornerback in football. I mean, they're just so loaded at every spot. Uh, it, it's, it's hard. I think that Ohio State could do it, and you really should probably take the points, but I'm willing to take lay the points really with, with Alabama. I think Alabama just – we don't see too many close national championships. There's been a couple, Alabama and Georgia, Alabama and Clemson one year, but a lot of the time it's – it's usually uh, doesn't live up to the hype. So I think that this game, Alabama, is just a mismatch, just a mismatch. And I think Alabama will win comfortably. Alabama has the best of everything. We got the best uh, football correspondent in Dan Zampano. Appreciate your time this morning. By the way, you got to be really thrilled Michigan's great, getting ready to extend uh, Jim Harbaugh, huh? Oh, yeah, that <laughs> makes a ton of sense, you know. I mean, why not? You know, a guy hasn't beaten Ohio State, can't beat Michigan State, can't beat Penn State. Let's give him an extension. Like perfect, you know. <laughs> go get your God, go, that that place is a nightmare. Go get your snacks ready, my friend, and we will look forward to talking to you next week and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Very good, Gene. Right. God bless. Take care. All right. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Keith Urban, a little bit of everything. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.